Welcome to the Seminole Wars. In this podcast, we explore how the Seminole Wars came to be, how they were fought, and how they still resonate some two centuries later. I am your host, Patrick Swan, and our show is a production of the Seminole Wars Foundation, found online at www.seminolewars.us. We are recording today from the homestead of the Foundation in Bushnell, Florida. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome. Our guest is a returning guest, Chris Kimball. He's the author of several books about the Seminole Wars. These include books about the battles, about individuals in the Seminole Wars, and newspaper coverage. Today, Chris Kimball returns to discuss how he's done the research, what sources on the internet and through libraries are available for somebody doing research on, say, the Seminole Wars. Chris is a wealth of information and techniques to get that information. So without further ado, we welcome Chris Kimball back to the Seminole Wars. Glad to be here once again. Chris, with the COVID-19 panic of the past year, it's been difficult for libraries to stay open for their customers. When you're doing research on the Seminole Wars, if a library is closed that you want to use, what internet resources are available? Yes, uh, there's a lot of resources available on the internet. Uh, one of them, if you have a subscription to Ancestry. They have the Seminole War post returns, actually all the U.S. post returns up to the early 1900s. And if you do not have a subscription that uh, libraries do, so you can go to your local library and I have a card for the state library that I can go in there and pull it up from the state library resources. Also, there's a, another service. Unfortunately, they split these things up, but there's Fold3, which I think is a subgroup of Ancestry, or uh, uh, it's all the military records. It does not have the post returns, but it has the adjutant letters. So if you narrow it down to a time period, for example, uh, Mexican War, it will include the Seminole War period. And it has the Army adjutant letters. You go in by date and then letter for character, picking like T for Zachary Taylor. And you can see what everything Zachary Taylor wrote in 1838. And also there's the Naval Captain letters. You can go into the Naval records too. And it's a wealth of information for the Seminole Wars. There is also a website, it's called Hathi Trust, H-A-T-H-I-T-R-U-S-T, HathiTrust.org, and they're digitizing uh, out-of-print journals and books and magazines all the time. That's where the Army-Navy Chronicle is, The uh, it's like the military magazine of the United States from the same time period. Uh, just a lot of resources that uh, in that place, uh, different books. Also, the National Archives is now digitizing a lot of their records. You go to the National Archives and can do a search and see what's available there. Um, there's the uh, New York Historical Society that has artifacts and objects in their catalog. You can pull up their digital records. The Seminole Tribe Atafiki Museum has been digitizing 
a lot of their uh, collection as well, and they have an extensive Seminole War collection because that's part of its history. There's a website you can go on. It has all Niles Weekly or Niles Register publications, which has a lot of news from the Seminole War. And there's Google Books, uh, which, of course, has been around a while, and you need like a Gmail or Google address. And there's also a website I go to a lot, newspapers.com, which I also have a access through my library uh, subscription or my library membership, whatever. The state library has that data available. But all these uh, different resources I get through the state library, you can also connect through your local county library, uh, the county I live and also has connection to some of these same resources. Tell us about findagrave.com. Find a Grave, oh, that's a great website. Uh, if you uh, want to look up some of the characters from the Seminole War, like uh, Colonel Alexander Thompson, you can pull up where he's buried. And in fact, I've solved uh, some mysteries on some of the officers on where they're buried or where they ended up. Uh, for example, Colonel John Green, who uh, died of uh, disease in Je Governor Call's house, the Grove, he was supposedly buried in the Grove, but then he was moved to uh, supposedly moved to St. Augustine. But on Find a Grave, you can see his grave in Washington D.C. <laughs> so he's actually buried in three different places, uh, which is very interesting. But also some of the minor officers. Uh, there's um, McCrabe, an officer who was killed during the Seminole War. He's You can look up his grave, too. And it, it's a hit or miss on Find a Grave. Sometimes on Find a Grave, they also have biographies as well. Uh, you can look up uh, John Rogers Vinton, Captain Vinton from the Seminole War. John Mary Lou published his, uh, his diary or his letters. And he's buried in Providence, Rhode Island. In the Mexican War, he was killed, at, I believe, at the Battle of Veracruz. An eight-pound shell took off his head. So Find a Grave shows you his tomb in Providence, Rhode Island. And on top of the tomb is the cannonball that killed him there. So you can find some interesting things. Find a Grave, uh, it has the genealogy of some of the officers. In fact, I've been... I mentioned uh, McCrabe, who died during the Seminole War. His father was also a officer in the Army of the, who was the same rank and age that uh, McCrabe Jr. was when he died. So you can look up the uh, family line, but tragically, the father and the son died the same rank and same age. Uh, they're, I think they're both 29 or something, something like that at their age. So it's pretty tra tragic on that. Uh, but yes, he, some of the officers on the Seminole War, their parents or grandparents were uh, active participants in the American Revolutionary War. And you can look up their family members that connect in, in there if they are buried anywhere. Uh, and I've looked up some of my family members too that's gone back several generations. In fact, I've had to add some of my family members on find a grave that I found. <laughs> so it's interesting. Cemeteries are a very interesting 
historical resource to visit. And if you live in an area like Tallahassee or St. Augustine, uh, you can visit a lot of these graves, but you can also find where some of them are pretty much impossible to visit because I think like General Joseph Hernandez from St. Augustine, I believe he's been down in Cuba. Uh, so, you know, we, it's pretty hard going down there, but I think he's on Finder Grave. Chris, we've podcasted about David Moniak, who's the Creek Indian who led a band of Creek Indians that the U.S. government sponsored to help them in the war against the Seminoles. Where is David Moniak buried? And can find a grave help us find him? Well, David Moniak was originally buried with Dade's men, and supposedly the body was brought to St. Augustine and buried under the pyramids. But the National Cemetery in Bushnell opened up several years ago, and David Moniak now has a stone in commemoration in Bushnell. His body's not actually there, but there is a gravestone for him, as there are gravestones for several other veterans from an earlier time period to the families moved there. And in fact, there's a couple reenactors who we've had buried in the National Cemetery in Bushnell as well, because our affection and long-term association with Dade Battlefield. Apparently, when more two years ago, we came across one of the records of the bodies that were actually moved there that were published at one time. But I can't remember if he was there or not, or if they missed him. For a long time, we feel that they may have missed him because he is buried beside the officers. So we don't know if exhumed or not that he might still be at Dade Battlefield. We're not sure. Whether it's Haithi Trust or Find a Grave, these are things that you're empowered to use on the internet to find answers. But if you can't find them, where can you turn to with a library or a librarian for help? Okay, the library resources, that's um, the ones I use a lot. There's like a World Cat, which if you're looking for a particular book, it will tell you where the, which libraries the book is at, the universities, the state libraries, the local libraries, even how far away it is. So like I was looking for one particular book and the nearest copy is uh, in the Macon Public Library, which is about five hours drive from me in Macon, Georgia. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. It will tell you all the either bound volumes or microfilm uh, if you look up the Army-Navy Chronicle, the World Cat will tell you which university libraries have the actual bound volumes and which ones have the microfilm <laughs> volumes. So that's an interesting resource. Many of the libraries now have a page of electronic resources where you can look up things, for example, different scientific journals. The pandemic, as far as researching goes, the uh, it's really boomed during the pandemic, I believe. Tell us about dealing with libraries or librarians. Very helpful or standoffish? During the pandemic, even though the state libraries closed, I asked them a few questions and they said, well, they'd be uh, more than happy to look something up. So if you send a request that they're going <laughs> really enjoy looking up uh, a request for research, I, I don't want to put them on the spot, but that's what they told me. So uh, I need to look up a few letters on the adjutant, and I want to look up on the microfilm. And since the library's closed, they said they'll look it up for me. And there's other resources. The uh, State Library also has the Florida Memory, which is the 
photographic record that they're pulling pictures on there all on the time. The catalog of digital documents and artifacts and photographs is expanding all the time. Some libraries are more appropriate than others. Tell us about dealing with the libraries and getting the right library to deal with. Right. Well, for example, you have the FSU library in Tallahassee. They have a wonderful collection and they have a Florida collection that's only open during weekdays. So uh, if you want to go and visit that library, you have to know what time certain sections are open. But the universities in Florida, like FSU, also have a repository for the National Archives. So they have government and federal documents on it too. And that's been a wealth of information, even though I graduated from University of Central Florida of 35 years ago, I still, <laughs> I've still made a couple trips back to uh, research what they have in the federal collection. The Orlando Library has a very good collection because it's an old library. It has a Florida collection that has documents going back to colonial times. The state archives in Tallahassee, you can go in the library there when it reopens. And they also have the archives where they're a federal repository for documents for the National Archives. I, in fact, work in the same building. And one time we had a tornado warning where we had to go in the back of the building that's safe, uh, safer from the storms. And I noticed on the shelf was congressional volumes from uh, the 1790s on the shelf. So even though Florida has only been a state since 1845, uh, there are documents and publications hidden away. Now the local library is can be a gold mine for finding uh, local history. I've gone to a lot of local libraries in Florida. For example, in uh, I think it was Suwannee County Live Oak. I went there to look up some of the history. There's a lot of small local histories they're printed up and they end up in the local libraries and also genealogical resources that usually had a small printing and are almost impossible to find a copy of, but they'll be in the local uh, libraries. There's also, for example, in Winter Park, uh, north of Orlando, there's Rollins College. Their library's been around since, I believe, like the 1880s. So they have a big collection <laughs> there that is, uh, so it, it's like a scavenger hunt. And also you can go to museums like the Miami Historical Society Museum. They have a really big archive too. And you can park at the library and history museum and go in and, uh, you know, make an appointment on things you want to see in their collection. And they have some interesting records as well. Some of these libraries are not within your driving distance, so they have something called interlibrary loan. How does that work? Yes, uh, interlibrary loan, uh, if you want to check out a book that's or a resource that's not available in your local library, you can go to your librarian and they can order it, have it shipped up, and you can check it out. That's how I've checked out a few things that are at some of the universities uh, far away that I didn't want to 
make the trip over there just for that, and I was able to check out the book or the resource on that thing. Okay, Chris, you find something that's of interest. You might take notes from it, you might take a picture of it, or you might get it scanned into the computer. How does copying material work with these libraries? The library now has the microfilm on a P PC reader, so I can roll through the microfilm, and I have a few blank thumb drives, and I can copy pages on the thumb drives. Uh, I also have a, it's like a portable uh, flat scanner. It's a Doxie, D-O-X-I-E. And I actually bought it through, uh, I think, Ancestry website. It, it's not one of those ones that you skim, but it's actually a small flat scanner. It's almost pocket-sized. It's, uh, you know, the size of a small notebook. It takes four AAA batteries and an SD card, and I can use that to scan pages of books that might not fit all on one sheet of one sheet of scan, but you know I can put them together when I get home, and that saves me a lot of time. I don't have to write down as much. I've seen people now. Cell phones have gotten a lot big, bigger. I've seen people in the library who have a tripod to keep their cell phone still and are now taking photographs of books or documents. One nice thing about cell phone, it's very sensitive and dim light settings, so you don't have to use a flash. That's worked out very good because the resolution or the number of pixels of the cell phone has gotten really good. You can take a, like a 10 meg photo on a cell phone and that's gotten really good. One thing I, I was looking for a long time while I was researching my book, Alachua Ambush, I was trying to find out what happened to Colonel Alexander Montgomery. He is a lieutenant in Florida and his wife was killed. I finally found, I found this grave. He's buried in Ontario, but it's not on find a grave. It's not on a website of the church graveyard he's buried at actually has a, a picture and has his grave <laughs> marked. And so, and I spent a long time looking for that until I found which cemetery. That took a lot of research as well, just going through newspapers until I found an obituary and or statements from his daughter. <laughs> so that, that was a lot of detective work. Chris, we're out of time, so we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for a broad overview of resources available for people trying to research the Seminole Wars. We'll have you back to discuss some of the things that you find when you are actually doing the researching, and then some of the fascinating stories that you've been able to pull together for your books and for future projects. Until then, thanks again for joining us for The Seminole Wars. Well, I enjoyed it. And, uh, if anybody needs any help researching, I'm, I always try to make myself available, at least send them in the right direction. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to like us on Facebook at Seminole Wars Foundation. Leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Your reviews and comments help new listeners discover us and help us keep this show going. Visit our website at www.seminolewars.us for blogs, articles, news, books, events, membership information, and how to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the Seminole Wars Podcast.
The Seminole Wars Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to preservation, education, and publication of Seminole Wars history throughout the state of Florida. This podcast is copyrighted. The Seminole Wars Foundation 2021. All rights reserved. Front bumper music The Devil's Garden. Roast em, provided by kind permission of Reedy Onman. Back bumper music Second Seminole Win by Jed Merrim and Ricky Pittman, courtesy of Ricky Pittman. All rights reserved.